Hey Rachel, how are you? I'm fine. Um <laughs> Does so it we... sound better? Can you hear me? It sounds great, yeah. Lovely. Love that for us. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should welcome people to our second episode of Crime and Wine and maybe we should introduce ourselves because we didn't really tell anyone who we were. <laughs> oh. Did, was that just my mic there? What? Okay, no, I thought I was hearing things. It's okay, let's carry on. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to go first and introduce yourself? No, you go first. Okay, all right, okay, fine, fine, fine. Should I tell everyone how we met too? Sure, yeah. Okay, so... Um... <laughs> so, hi, everyone. I'm Lolly. Um, I don't really know what to tell people about myself. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So, I got my undergrad in criminology and then went into postgrad in psychology last year. And now here I am, and I'm interested in crimes. So my friend Rachel and I are talking about them. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, oh, and I'm originally from Botswana, but um, I tell people I'm from there too, but I'm actually from Birmingham. <laughs> it's okay. I tell people I'm from Ireland, but I'm actually from America. <laughs> Just confusing people the whole time. Um, oh, how, oh, yeah. How did Should we I t- meet? <laughs> Sure, okay. So, over lockdown, miss that guy. Over lockdown, we... What guy? We're still in it. Lockdown's the guy. Yeah, but like... Oh, oh, actually, yeah, we are. (laughs) We're still in the same one we met in. Yeah. Okay, so... um, Over Christmas. Over lockdown, I was... Oh, yeah, wait. No, how do I do this? Okay, over lockdown, my best friend and I were doing the lockdown thing together and his older brother was dating Rachel and that's how we met so me and me and Rachel did lockdown together for a few months miss that do I miss that what miss that I miss you miss you miss you too all right then Rachel introduce yourself then um yeah so I'm from New York originally, from Westchester, which is about 45 minutes north of Manhattan. Okay. Um, yeah. I and didn't even know that. No. I've definitely told you that before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did my undergrad in psychology at Michigan State, um, which is a huge party and drinking school. Um, I was actually in a sorority, which I later quit because because it is just like the movies and yeah um and then I lived in New York for for five and a half years and then I lived in LA for two years don't ask me what I was doing I don't know and then (laughs) um I moved to London in July in the middle of the pandemic to do my master's in criminology so it just so happens that Lolly and I met and we have like reverse degrees so yeah that's cool um we were destined to meet we were that's what that's what it was and then I realized I didn't really talk much about Gary but Gary is my rescue dog he's from LA he He is the cutest yes he is and we're not just biased he just is he is gorgeous um he is part beagle and he is part corgi so he's a he's a long boy but he's got like little legs he's really low to the ground um and today, Lolly, I put a muzzle on him for the first time. And Why? Because he's a bitey boy. He likes to bite other dogs. Oh, no, Gary, please. We don't have time for that. I know. Um, 
he really didn't like it, but I think it should teach him a lesson. Um, exactly. And, you know, so I just went out for a coffee with one of my girlfriends outside with masks on. And we went to the little square right by my house. And I let Gary off the leash. He has mm. his muzzle on. And um, he sees a squirrel, which is his favorite thing. And yeah. so he went to chase the squirrel and he runs over to this tree. And it's just so funny trying to watch him jump at this tree because he, like, <laughs> he gets like three inches off the ground. And you can see I... like... <laughs> There's so much hope that he has yeah. that he's going to get get this squirrel. But this woman <laughs> is sitting on the bench looking at me. And, like, she has a mask on. So I can't, like, but I can tell by her eyes. Like, she's pissed. And I and I looked at her. And I was just like, um, I don't know what I said. But I, I think I saw on Instagram, like, recently that, like, somebody saying, just be petty. Life is too short. Why, why take the high road? Just be as petty as you can. So, so what did you say to her? Then? I think I was like, can I help you or something? And she was like, no, Rachel. Come on. I don't know what I said. She was just like, there's no dogs allowed in this park. Right. Is that? Yeah. And I was just like, uh, you know, she, I was just like, sorry, I can't hear you. And she got up and walked over to me. She's like, there's no dogs in this park. Read the signs. And I was just like, if she had just come over and I I was laughing at her and she like got on her phone, I was just decided to be uh, not, I I just, I was just like, Gary is so small. I I get it. Like no dogs allowed in the park. Was it a gated park? It's not even a park. It's just a square with a few benches. There's no, there's no weaving park. It's just a few trees and bushes and benches. It's three bushes. It's just a fucking like five bushes and a bench. You know, I'm not, it's not like, um, anyway, I was just like, okay. And then she was like, my kids are afraid of dogs. And my friend was just like, should, was like, I should have said, like, are you still breastfeeding them? Because they're like, (laughs) she was like hugging her kids as if, you know, something horrific had happened. They were like six and four or something. Mm. Meanwhile, Gary is nowhere near them, has not a care about them. But I got up and I went and got him. And I just said to her, like, you have a great day. And um, she just was saying rude things. And we were saying, like, great parenting skills or something. I, I don't know. She was just, she she just really riled us up a bit. Um, and she's definitely probably writing a review of us on the Nextdoor app. <laughs> like, I saw her on her phone. I was like, she's definitely, like, I can't wait to see this come through. Because oh, my, my Nextdoor app is on... Um, under a uh, my false email address that I also right. use to uh, post reviews on um, supermarkets that don't make people wear masks. <laughs> what? Nobody here's wearing masks. Of course, and Rachel just... has a fake account on next door. <laughs> I, I had to. Oh, so that was my morning. Um, what how did was, I do? That was your morning. Dude, I swear I just woke up. I don't really know what I've done this morning. I had a toasty. Yeah. What's um, that? Ha- what did you say? What's a toasty? It's um a toasted toasted sandwich. Oh, isn't it a grilled cheese? Yeah, 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 with salami in it though. Oh right. Weight loss season and everything. <laughs> um, so I had that. I had a cheeky shower. Now here I am, and you know how I said yesterday or whenever mm-hmm. we last spoke that I wasn't gonna eat sweets because of Lent. Yeah. Obviously, when I said that, I meant just sweets because what I'm saying is I just had a lint chocolate. Right. 
So we're not counting that, right? Uh, you do. You got to do you. Exactly. And this is what I said. That's what I said when I went back in the house. I said, Rachel said that I don't, I, I, sh- I shouldn't give up sweets for Len. And that, you know. what did they say to you? And, and they just looked at me like I was crazy. And I think I believe in the movement of just having sweets anyway. <laughs> is there a movement? <laughs> yeah, so I found it on Instagram yesterday. There's a movement where you just have sweets. So that's um, where I'm at. Side note, I wanted to talk really quick. Have you seen what's going on in Texas? No, I haven't. Tell me. Oh, my God. It's horrific right now. Um, just in case, you know, any, anybody <clears throat> hasn't heard of it, there are millions of Texas people who are struggling to get drinking water because there has what? been there's been a deadly winter storm and there's millions, seven million people, which is a quarter of the population of Texas, our Texas officials are telling them to boil tap water before drinking it. What? So nobody has drinking water. There are tons of videos people are posting of their ceilings collapsing, their houses flooding. Um, there's just no water. Meanwhile, the state senator, Ted Cruz, just got on a plane Wednesday to Cancun. But what? When, when did all of this start? When did the um like days days ago it's been going on for days um horrible and the senator just went to what's he doing in cancun he's on vacation oh right that's a perfect time yeah i mean people are up in arms and so upset with him and he said um he changed his return flight and came back he wouldn't have done it if he if he um thought people would be so upset what does like, he mean he's of just course the, they're gonna be upset he's just the worst he ran for president in 2016 oh also he left his dog behind people like drove by his house and just saw his dog in the window alone does he not is there nowhere is there no what they call i forgot what they're called again kennels yeah. of course there's kennel there's there's a it's 2021 there's a million different ways that you can have somebody take care of your dog also he's the state senator he has a he's a millionaire yeah. he has unlimited resources mm. to have somebody take care of his dog he said later that a security guard was taking care of it yeah which... i was thinking he was gonna i thought that was gonna be the did the you cover up but yeah people are freezing to death actually freezing to death that's horrible oh my that's what's going on in texas so um for anybody listening if you can send money uh even like you know a few dollars um yeah you know what we'll post on instagram some different um We'll put up some that, links up there. Yeah, we'll put some links up for for ways that you can um even like a dollar, you know, anything. Yeah. Anything will help. Anything will help. I, I'm going to do that as well today. Donate some money. Um same. Same. So that that's my life update. And you know, Gary is fast asleep on the couch or on the bed. Give him big kisses from me. I will. <clears throat> so welcome to our second episode welcome everybody um do you wanna go first yeah of course i'll be happy to right okay so the title of my story today is the imposter Mm. and it's a story based in san antonio texas so we got on the on on the 13th of june 1994 a young boy called nicholas barclay disappeared his mum thought that he might have got into a car with a stranger. And so, I mean, apparently that was quite usual and normal for him to do. So she didn't think any more of it. What? But then, <laughs> I know. How was- so, 
sorry, go on. The, no, that's like the opposite. <laughs> that's the opposite of what every parent I tells know. their kid. She's I like, know. oh, that's so Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to start off the story. I know my son just pops into cars with strangers. That's, it is that, what it that's is. That's very him. So <laughs> be like, no, nah, we're not worried. We're, he, that's the usual for him. Sorry, that's fine. <laughs> and he's 13 years old. I'm sorry, 13. Texas. Okay. No, you should, honestly, good thing I didn't do that accent because. Oh my god, your American accent is just atrocious. The top tier, top <laughs> tier. Okay. Um, so thirteen-year-old Nicholas has gone missing. His mom thinks he's in a car with a stranger somewhere, chilling. It's fine. Um, he lived in a good neighborhood, so no one thought that he. I don't know that he would have been in any danger. They'd done a swipe to see if there were any. Um, what's it called? kidnappers in the area there was nothing so they they were fine apparently i can't understand how they were fine but they were fine um so on where are we now so they left it rachel i think they left it for a bit they didn't worry anymore about what was happening with nicholas but then three years later what, what do you mean the family just, isn't worried nobody I mean, cares they were worried but like they looked for him and i think they'd come to terms with the fact that he could have just been killed or they were just expecting him to come back at some point at some point Okay. I mean, what do you do after your child's gone missing? You can only look so much until the police If Gary find went something. missing, I would just w- live on the streets until I found him. I get, yeah, I get. <laughs> I just pictured you, like, in the streets by yourself, waiting for little Gary to come over. Anyway, I, I right. wouldn't be by myself. You would be there, too. Yeah, this is true. This is true. This is true. I'd be right, right there next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we at? Okay, so we're four, four years later. Four years after Nicholas disappeared, um, the Spanish police received a call from the public. So bear in mind that Nicholas's family is in Texas, okay? Mm -hmm. So the Spanish police receive a call from the public saying that they found a child and he seems really confused. (gasps) Um, He's really confused. And so... so (laughs) He sounds really confused. And so then... um, they realized that this child is identifying himself as Nicholas Barclay, right? It sucks that you know the story. Anyway, I'm going to tell you anyway. No, it's okay. okay. <laughs> I, I want to hear your, your telling of it. But yeah, so the police, the police in Spain are calling Texas. Yeah, to let them know that they found this child. But he didn't have any ID papers on him or anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then he is flown back to America after his sister's gone over to meet him and identify that it is him and confirm that he can come over to the US with her. So they fly back to America together and they meet his mom at the airport. Everyone's all happy to meet him. It's a good time. Um, But there's a private investigator who'd been looking into um, Nicholas's case and was just interested in it. So he saw Nicholas on tv and at the same time was looking at a photo of nicholas and then realized pretty quickly that his ears didn't match the photo that he was looking of at of nicholas when he was 13 when he initially disappeared and so then he clocked on pretty quickly that it wasn't nicholas looked into it further and confronted this guy and it turned out that it's a guy called frederick and he was actually just a fraudster who had been infiltrating kids homes for for years and years and years trying to seek asylum when he had a family at home and so i mean that's the case but now that you know what i'm talking about is there anything you'd like to add 
um, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the is that all you have to say on it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was very fast. I know. I know. I think I just, like, as soon as you said you knew the story. Oh, I'm did like, you start yeah. panicking? <laughs> yeah. No, tell tell it because only, I I know it, but nobody else, like maybe other people who are listening, don't know it. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, what what else is there to add, really? I don't. There's a oh ton. yeah, no. Oh my god. Afterwards, I don't know if you know this part or whether you heard this part that after he'd been he'd been so he got sentenced for six years for doing this, right? Yeah, um, I mean, he after- he is a terrible person. Like he defrauded this family. He yeah. he's like a changeling. He pretended that he was the son, and the family was so desperate that you know to hope that their son was alive. That they just went along with it. They're like, yeah. maybe this is him. But he looks nothing like. He looks he, nothing like him. nothing. He, he has different color eyes. Mm-hmm. But he did. Did you hear what his his story? Apparently, his cover up story. Um, Hello, can you still hear me? Sorry, my mum called me. I'm oh, so sorry yeah, about I can. That. Um, no, his his cover up story is that he'd been injected in his eyes to c- change the color of his eyes to brown from blue, and that the reason mm-hmm. he had a French accent is because when he was when he had been kidnapped, he was forced to speak French for three years. And I mean, if you heard this guy speak, it's such a fluent accent. I can't believe that he would have been changed that easily from a strong American accent. So it's all very unbelievable. But following his arrest after six after six years or so, I think he's just come out. He was in another interview the other day, and he said that um, the family was so accepting of him because they think that his um, his older brother had killed him, and so they were just covering it up with Frederic. Oh, they think that Nicholas's brother actually killed him. He's yeah, and so they the reason they were so accepting of him. It's because they were just like, cool, this is a good way to cover it up. But obviously, we don't know if that's true because Frederick is the one who's saying it. Wait, why do they think the older brother Because, so what? Because he, his older brother died. His older brother, sorry, his older brother killed himself when the private investigator started looking into Frederick and started realizing that it wasn't Nicholas. So they lost yeah, two they sons. lost two sons. And there's a chance that one of them killed the other one. I mean... I don't know. I I was looking into it earlier and there's not really any solid evidence. Nothing's ever been done about it, but apparently the private investigator is still looking into it till this day. So that's wow. that's how that ended. But obviously, if anyone has anything I've missed out, please do write in and let us know. Okay. Um, well, my story is like much, much That's longer. okay. 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 Um, so I am doing the solder children disappearance. So this is the scene. It is Christmas Eve, 1945 at the solder house in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Um, at this time, the house consists of George solder, his Mm -hmm. wife, Jenny, and nine of their 10 Mm -hmm. children. The solders are celebrating Christmas Eve with Marion, who is the oldest daughter. Um, she had been working at a dime store in downtown Fayetteville, and she surprised three of her younger sisters, Martha, who's 12, Jenny, who's eight, and Betty, who is five, with new toys she had brought for them okay. as gifts. 
The younger children are so excited. They ask their mom if they can stay up, which would stay up past what their normal bedtime is. And, you know, it's Christmas Eve. So she's like, yeah. So at 10 p.m., Jenny, the mother, tells them they can stay up a little bit later as long as two of the older boys who are still awake, 14-year-old Maurice and 9-year-old Louis, remember to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed themselves. As you do. And so George and the two, George, who is the father, and the two older boys, John, who's 23, and George Jr., who's 16. Sorry, there's a lot of names. Okay, I'm I'm keeping up, I think. Um, Okay. They had spent the day working with their father, and they were already asleep. So after reminding the kids um, of their remaining chores, um, Jenny, the mother, takes Sylvia, who's only two years old, upstairs with her and goes to bed. Say that again. The mother takes the two-year-old daughter, Sylvia, upstairs with her, okay. and they go to bed. Now it's 12.30 a.m., and the telephone rings. And Jenny wakes up, and she goes downstairs to answer it. And the caller is a woman whose voice she doesn't recognize, <clears throat> asking for a name mm. she's not familiar with, with the sound of laughter and clinking glasses. Oh, well, that's in the terrible. Bathroom. That's really freaked me out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And... Jenny tells the caller that she thinks that this woman has the wrong number, later recalling that the woman had a weird laugh. So then Jenny hangs up and she goes to bed. And as she goes up to bed, she notices that the lights are still on and the curtains were not drawn, which are two things that the children normally do when they stay up later than their parents. They usually turn off the lights and close the curtains. Um, so she checks on the kids. Marion has fallen asleep on the living room couch. So Jenny, the mother, just assumes that the other kids who stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where they slept, where they sleep. So she closes the curtains, turns off the lights, and she goes back to bed. Now, 1 a.m., Jenny is awakened again by a sound of an object hitting the house's roof with a loud bang and then a rolling oh noise. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm sat in the car and it's really windy. And I'm just... Okay. 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 Yeah. Buckle in. <laughs> uh, so she hears nothing further and then she goes back to sleep. Then after another half hour, she wakes up again, smelling smoke. It's just, she must be like, fuck, like every half but hour. Also, Rachel, like, she's got what? 10 kids. This woman what, can't just you, sleep. If you heard someone banging on your roof, you're just going to roll over and go back to sleep. She probably thought that it was what? like a squirrel or okay, something. Okay, all right. So what happens next? So she wakes up another half hour later. So it's 1.30 in the morning and she smells smoke. And when she gets up, she finds that the room George, the husband, used for his office is on fire around the telephone line in the fuse box. So Jenny wakes up George and he wakes up his older sons, both parents and four of their children, which is Marion, Sylvia, John and George, escape the house, frantically yelling to the children upstairs who are in the attic, but they get no response for them. And they couldn't get upstairs because the stairway itself was already on fire. Um, and so for, so John, Mm -hmm. who is one of the kids who escaped said in his first police interview that the fire that, uh, that after the fire, he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there, though he later changed his story to say that he only called up there and didn't actually, and he was the oldest child. Um, um, 
he is okay. I, I don't know where he is in line oh okay. he's 23 i think the i think the actual oldest one uh, which i'll get to later is okay. off at war because it's it's okay. during world war ii so there's not a lot good going on mm-hmm. in the world at this time in 1945 um <clears throat> so efforts to find aid and rescue the children was really unexpectedly complicated their phone didn't work so marion ran to a neighbor's to call the fire department um a driver on the nearby road had also seen the flames and called from a nearby tavern and they also were unsuccessful either because they couldn't reach the operator or because the phone there turned out to be broken so so either the neighbor or the passing motorist um somebody was eventually successful in reaching the fire department from another phone in the center of town so finally, they get help. George, who's barefoot, climbs the wall and broke open an attic window, cutting his oh. arm in the process. He and his sons intended to use a ladder to the attic to rescue the other children, but it was not in its usual spot, resting against the house, and he couldn't find it anywhere this nearby. Is freak him so, and freak him. So it feels like somebody moved okay. the ladder. Um, George then tries to pull both of the um, trucks he uses in his business up to the house and use them to climb to the attic window, but neither of his trucks would start despite having worked perfectly. So everything's broken at the moment and everything's moved. The phones aren't working. The, the, the ladder is missing and his trucks that were working the day before aren't working. Someone else must have been involved, surely. So... They're really frustrated, and the six solders, so the parents and their four kids who escaped, have no choice but to watch the house burn down and collapse over the next 45 minutes. So they assume that the other five kids had perished in the blaze, and the fire department, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, didn't respond until later the next, later that morning. Um, Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that the already slow response was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire <laughs> truck, requiring that that he wait until someone who could drive was available. Like the chief he couldn't of drive the fire it. department doesn't doesn't know how to drive the fire truck. That's so apt. That is so like you know the CEO of a company being like, "Can you yeah, not save this as a PDF?" <laughs> and you're like, "Fuck." Well, fuck. Like, it's always, like, the man, the head man who doesn't know how to do the the job and everyone else. But anyway, so the firefighters, one of whom is a brother of Jenny's, so he's the uncle mm-hmm. to all of these kids, could do nothing but look through the ashes that were left in the Sodders' basement. And by 10 a.m., Chief Morris told the Sodders that they had not found any huh? bones, which, yeah which might have been which would be expected if the children had been in the house and been burned um because i was looking into this and at when you cremate yeah. a body um i think it has to be around 2000 degrees and even then there's sometimes bones left over and Was a fire does, um, okay probably right. fahrenheit um and a body um a fire doesn't get as hot and um isn't as contained so there's there's definitely yeah, always gonna be bones and so th- they they find no bones 
Um, but according to another account, they did find a few bone fragments and internal organs, but chose not what? to tell the family. That's just a, that's okay, not okay. proven. It's also been noted by modern fire professionals that their search was cursory at best. So mm. they didn't even really look. So who, who knows? Um, nevertheless, the Chief Morris believed that the five children unaccounted for had died in the fire, suggesting it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely. But as we know, Chief Morris doesn't even know how to drive the truck. So why are we going to believe that he knows what's going on? Okay, so, so now let me give you a bit of backstory okay. of the family. Okay. So George was the father was born in Sardinia, Italy in 1895 and immigrated to the United States at 13 years old with his brother um, who turned around immediately at Ellis Island and okay. went back to Italy. <laughs> he saw New York. He got to Ellis Island. He was like, I'm out. I am not doing that. He was like, back to Sardinia, which, yeah, I get it. Um, he... Then George Sauter went on to work on the railroads in Pennsylvania. And then after a few years, he took on permanent work as a driver in West Virginia, which is where he later settles down. And so after a few more years in West Virginia, he starts his own trucking company and then marries the storekeeper, Jenny Cipriani, who also immigrated from Italy in her childhood. So they become husband and wife. And they settle outside Fayetteville, West Virginia, which also had a large population of Italian immigrants. So in 1923, they have the first of their 10 children. Um, 10. And like, I don't know what kind of drugs they oh have goodness, back then no. for 10 women. children. 10 kids. They, they must have been pure Catholic. <laughs> my, I mean, my mom's one really? of nine kids. I mean, to be fair, my... No, no, I'm not my grandparents have pretty big siblingships. Uh, okay, they, they have a lot of siblings. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> so, um, so nineteen twenty three, they have the first of their ten kids, and George's business prospers, and they become one of the most respected middle class families in town. Um, however, George has really strong opinions about a lot of many subjects and he wasn't shy about expressing them, especially when it came to Benito Mussolini. Um, the last of the 10 children, um, was born in 1943. So yeah, at the time of the fire, that's why the little baby, she's only two years old. Um, and yeah, by then their second oldest, Joe, had left home to serve during okay. World War II, um, which must be weird being like first generation Italian and then going to fight for the United States during the war, knowing your family's from Italy yeah, and you're fighting against it. Pretty hectic. Yeah. Um, and the following year, Mussolini is executed. Yay. Yay. Um, so George's criticism of the late dictator has left some people with hard feelings because he was, you know, living with, uh, in a very, um, uh, large population okay, of Italian yeah. immigrants. Um, so in October of 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman after being rebuffed warned George that his house would go up in smoke and your children are going to be what? destroyed. 
attributing this all to the dirty remarks you've been making no about Mussolini. Way. So this this insurance salesman wants to is telling him he's going to kill his family and burn them because he's said mean things about Mussolini. It's the like insurance guy. Just the insurance. Yeah, just get over Everybody it, man. Everybody, calm just, down. Yeah, just calm down. Um, another visitor to the house who was apparently seeking work took the occasion to go around to the back and warned George that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire. So someday. he's got a few people telling him that there's going to be a fire at his house. Well, yeah, well, he has one insurance salesman threatening and then one guy who was looking for work saying that there's a fuse box that would cause a fire. I don't think that that was seen as a threat. I think he was just like, hey, man, you're... Box and this and this is the so house great. i'm assuming they've moved here away before any of these remarks have started taking place so it isn't a situation where they could have moved into a house that already been rigged if that makes any sense uh yeah no these these this is happening after okay okay there cool. for a while they, yeah this is happening when george is saying okay. things about mussolini and 1945 cool. area time so um, so the aftermath of so those are the threats he's received. Okay, so then the in the aftermath of the fire, Chief Idiot Morris tells George to leave the site undisturbed so that the state fire marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation, which is probably the first the first good, good, good thing good, Morris, good Morris did. Um, however, after four days, George and his wife can't bear the sight of their demolished house. And so they bulldoze five feet or a meter and a half of dirt over the site with the intention of covering it to make it a memorial garden okay. for their lost children. But like they're, they could be just know, covering up evidence thinking. of like three days, only three days after. Yeah. Four. Four days. Yeah. So the local coroner um, convened an inquest the next day, which held that the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. And among the jurors was the man who had threatened George that his house would be burned down and his children destroyed in retribution for an anti-Mussolini mark. I don't know how that guy, the insurance guy, got to be a juror. I don't know. I don't know. Um, death certificates for the five children were issued December 30th. So only, you know, six days later, um, the local newspaper contradicted itself, stating that all the bodies had been found. But then later in the same story reported that only one part of one body was recovered. And then George and Jenny are just too grief stricken to attend the funeral on January 2nd, 1946. No, but their other surviving children did. Okay. So then not long afterwards, as they begin to rebuild their lives, the Sodder started to question all the official findings about the fire. They're wondering why, if it's been caused by an electrical problem, that the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages when the power should have gone out. Then they find that the ladder had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire, and it had been found in an embankment 75 feet or 23 meters away. Um, excuse me a telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire as they initially thought but cut by someone who had been willing and able to climb 14 feet up the pole and reach 2 feet away from it to do so so a man whom neighbors had been 
whose neighbors had seen stealing a block and tackle, which yes. I don't know what that is, um, from the property around the time of the fire was identified and arrested. And he admitted to the theft and claimed that he had been the one who cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but he denied ever having anything to do with the fire. So he just okay. was over there thinking that he was stealing something and cutting a uh Okay, so uh, he's claiming it's a mistake. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he was like, yeah, okay. I'm a thief, <laughs> but I'm not. Okay. I didn't start the fire. Uh, we didn't start the fire. Um, yeah. Um, however, no record identifying the, suspe- the suspect exists and why he would have wanted to cut any utility lines to the solder house while stealing a block and tackle has never been explained. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so Jenny, the, the mother, says in 1968... That if he had cut the power line, then she and her husband, along with their other four children, would never have been able to make it out of the house. Um, So Jenny also had trouble accepting Chief Morris's belief that all traces of the children's body had been burned completely in the fire. Many of the household appliances had still been found, still recognizable in the ash, along with fragments of the tin roof. Um, Oh, here. So she... um, contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she had read around the same time that killed a family of seven and skeletal remains of all the victims reported to have been found in that case. So Jenny's like, okay, I'm looking at this house fire. Seven people are dead. They found all of the remains and why aren't you finding any of the remains in mine, but you're still like finding household appliances. Which, yeah. Um, Jenny, then burned small piles of animal bones to see if they would be able to com- if small. like to test it out to see if they would be able to be burned and um none ever were they That's still remained small. and th- this is where i got the the um okay so an employee of the local crematorium she contacted so jenny's like on it she's like i need to figure out what happened so she's calling the crematorium and she contacts them and um <clears throat> And they told her that human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 1,090 degrees Celsius, for two hours, which is far longer and far hotter than the house fire could have been. So it doesn't make any sense why there are no bones. It's not adding up. Something's. It's like that meme of the woman with like the (laughs) math all in front of her face, and she's like looking around. You're like something's not making sense. So the Sodders, um, so then Jenny's like, what ha- what's going on with our trucks? Our trucks weren't starting that night either. So we have no bones. We have um, a um, ladder that is found 75 feet away. We have a power line cut. We have our trucks aren't working, um, which George believed that they've been tampered with, perhaps by the same man who stole yeah. the block and tackle. Can somebody tell us what yeah. a block and tackle is? I feel like it has something to do with fishing. I was going to Google it, but, but if I come I off this, be... I'm worried it's going to stop recording. So. <laughs> yeah, don't. Please don't. Um, however, one of the his son-in-laws uh, told the Charleston Gazette in 2013, so way later, that he had come to believe that the Sodders and his son might have in their haste to start the trucks just flooded the engines which could be true like if you're just like trying to start it really fast um some accounts have suggested the wrong phone number call to the solder house might have also somehow been connected to the fire and disappearance of the children 
However, investigators later located the woman who had made the call and confirmed it had been a wrong number. Uh, so the woman who had like the cr- clinking and had like, called at twelve thirty in the morning and like been laughing uh, my, weird. When that you was talk just about wrong that, number. Honestly, I get goosebumps. It's so scary. But yeah, it's just, That's yeah. just my voice. Ow. <laughs> so that was the wrong call. So that was the wrong call. So then it's, there are subsequent developments. Okay. So as spring is approaching, I believe it's still 1946, um, the Sodders, they plant flowers um, in the soil over the bulldozed house and Jenny cares for it for the rest of her life. And um, further developments in early 1946 reinforced the family's belief that the children they were memorializing might in fact be alive But who would have taken them? And I don't understand. Is there... Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, I got yeah. excited. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an exciting case. Okay. So evidence emerged, which supported their belief that the fire had not started in the electrical fault and was in set, instead set deliberately. The driver of a bus that passed through Fayetteville late Christmas Eve said he had seen some people throwing balls of fire and at the house. The... Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but it's like <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> Okay. Um, a few months, like, you know, and he's like, well, <laughs> the bus driver's like, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Off like, I go. I'm not going to call the I'm police or anything. For- he's like, I'm not stopping for this. Um, a few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush nearby. Um, George, recalling his wife, uh, wife's account of the loud thump on the mm-hmm. roof before the fire. Yeah. Remember when at, there was like, she yeah. woke up and heard something? said it looks like a pineapple bomb or like a hand grenade, um, which is used in combat. Um, the family later claimed that contrary to the fire marshal's conclusion, the fire had started on the roof, although they, uh-huh. there's no way to prove that. Um, other witnesses claim to have seen the children alive what? now. One woman who was watching the fire from the road said that she saw some of them peering out of a passing car while the house huh? was burning. Another woman at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston said she had served them breakfast the next morning and noted the presence of a car with Florida license plate in the rest stop's parking lot as well. I don't know if these people are seeing these five children alive having breakfast the next morning. Why aren't they? But also, the who would have been driving? Would there have been a child old enough to drive? No, they're saying that they right, been right, right. So I'm surely when you see kids panicking unless they were told if you panic we're killing you so yeah who knows um so then the Sodders hire a private investigator and the name of this private investigator is cc tinsley um yeah tinsley learns that the insurance salesman who had threatened them with a fire a year before over George's anti-Mussolini sentiments, had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident and told... Oh, and, and he told this to the Sodders. Okay, so... um, <clears throat> Oh, I guess the Sodders didn't know that he was... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he also learned of rumors around Fayetteville that despite his report to the Sodders that no remains had been found in the ashes... Chief Morris had found a heart, which he later packed into a metal box and yeah. secretly buried. But this is just a rumor that the investigator is finding. But that's also weird. Like, why would the chief 
fire. But we already Marshall. thought he was a bit strange. Fine. Morris, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is Morris, and he it said that he found a heart and then packed it in a metal box and buried Wait, what it. Was, what's up with that? Um, is that the one body that he reported? No, it's not reported. This is just this is just it's a, a very rumor. Strange rumor then. Mm-hmm. Um, then more. Oh, so Morris had apparently confessed this to a local minister who confirmed it to George. Um, George and Tinsley go to Morris and confront him with this news, and Morris agrees to show the two where he buried the metal box, and they dig it up. And they took what they found inside the box to a local funeral director, who, after examining it, told them in reality it was fresh beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. Why did he do that? Morris is just... Morris isn't well. He's not. I hope somebody was like, look, Morris, you we're can't gonna drive the fire truck. And now we're going to we're gonna have to let you go. And like, sir, we found that you buried fresh beef liver in a box. That's some we're gonna scary have to let you behavior. Um, yeah. Later, there's more rumors circulated that Morris had afterwards admitted the box was the live the box with the liver had indeed not come from the fire originally. Um, he had supposedly placed it there in the hope that the Sodders would find it and be satisfied that the missing children oh had died. Oh my goodness. That is so twisted. It is so sick. Okay. Um, so then there's an excavation. Okay. So George didn't. So over the years, there's been okay. sightings yeah, of yeah. these kids. Okay. <laughs> Um, George didn't wait for the reports of the sightings to come in. Sometimes he said he, he made these sightings. He saw them himself. I'm not sure. After seeing a girl in a magazine picture of a young ballet dancer in New York city, who looks like one could be his missing daughter, Betty, one of the surviving daughters and himself drove all the way to the girl's school where, um, his repeated demands to see the girl were refused. That's so sad. Um, he, I know. He also tried to interest the FBI in investigating what he considered a kidnapping, but director um, J. Edgar Hoover personally responded to his letters. Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction That's of this horrible. bureau. Why would he just Fuck look off. into it? You can do whatever. Because they don't care That's about the massive. people. Um, if the local authorities requested the Bureau's assistance, um, he added he would, of course, direct agents to assist, but the Fayetteville Police and Fire Department declined to do so. Um, so in August of 1949, so now it's been... Four, four um, years? Four, yeah. Three, four years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, four years yeah. since the fire. George, George is able to persuade Oscar Hunter, who is a Washington, D.C. pathologist to supervise a new search through the dirt at the house site. And after a very thorough search, artifacts including a dictionary that had belonged to the children and some coins were found, and several small bone fragments were unearthed, determined to have been a human vertebrae. Um, The bone fragments were sent to Marshall T. Newman, a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution, and they were confirmed to be lumbar vertebrae, all from the same person. Um... And 
what they okay since part of the alum uh the vertebrae refused the age of the individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years old um the top limit of age should be around 22 um something about it fusing at 23 Mm -hmm. i don't know um given the age range it was not very likely that these bones were from any of the five missing children since the oldest maurice had been 14 at the time um so although the report allowed the vertebrae of of a boy his age some um um yeah so it must have been somebody who died before they and and the body was buried underneath Um, it was somewhere around okay. the house. They they found. Yeah, the I guess it is normal to bury people in your back garden some in some places. Probably. Well, either that or it's oh, somebody God, I really else hope murdered. So. Hope but, so. Hope not. Hope um, not. But also, the um, vertebrae that they did find um, showed no sign of exposure to flames. So it's definitely right. It's just not one of the five kids, um, and he further agreed that it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found since a wood fire of such short duration should have left full skeletons of all the children behind because it only burned for like yeah, 45 minutes about the heat and um, yeah yeah um so yeah later tinsley confirms that the bone fragment tinsley who's the the investigator whatever confirms that the bone fragments had come from a cer- cemetery in a nearby Mount Hope, um, but could not explain why they had been taken from there Is or this how they came to get the fire site. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he's it doing? Could be. Morris is Morris. I can't believe again. that guy. Um, yeah. So then the investigation and its findings at this time um, attracts national attention, which is great. Um, and the West Virginia legislator, legislature held two hearings on the case in 1950. Um, afterwards, the governor and the state police told the Sodders the case was hopeless and closed it as a state lo- at the state level. But the FBI decided it, ha- it had jurisdiction as, the pos- as a possible interstate kidnapping, but then dropped the case after two years following fruitless Just leads so they couldn't find though. anything. That's nothing. Just two years, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, okay, the Sodders do not give up hope of their, their five kids. They put up flyers and pictures of the, print, of the children offering a $5,000 reward, which they soon doubled to $10,000, um, for any information that would find even just one of them. And then in 1952, they put up a billboard at the site of the house, another one on U.S. Route 60, and then um, another one on U.S. Route okay. 19. Um, the family's efforts soon brought another reported sighting of the children after the fire. Um, this woman, um, Ida Crutchfield, who ran a Charleston hotel. Charleston's in mm-hmm. South Carolina. Yeah. Um, I know it's you're terrible. not great with geography, but we're going to we're going <laughs> to get you there. Um South Carolina is on the east okay. coast of the United States. So yeah. there's Florida. Then above uh-huh. that is Georgia. Above mm-hmm. that is South Carolina. Then and, North Carolina. Is your accent changing as you're saying the Carolinas? That's so funny. Should I, should I tell you how you said it? <laughs> no, please. 
<laughs> All right, so we're at North Carolina. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, this woman is who ran a Charleston hotel claimed to have seen the children approximately a week after. She says she doesn't remember the exact date. Um, the children had come in around midnight with two men and two women, all of whom appeared to her to be of Italian Ooh. extraction. Um, when she attempted to speak to the children, one of the men looked at her in a hostile manner, turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Mind you, like, uh, okay, immediately the whole um, part, like all of them stopped talking to her and she recalled that they left the hotel the early, early the next morning. Um, investigators today do not, however, consider her story credible as she had only seen, only first seen photos of the children two years after the fire five years before she came forward with this information. Two years after the fire. Five years. Yeah, that's when, before she told the police this information. So, Ida is a liar. Wasting time. Um, George, um, the father, George, started following up leads in person. Um, You know, he must have been devastating because, like, I mean, I know family is everything everywhere, but to Italians, it's like, yeah, I, I, uh, my mom's gonna be upset at me saying that. She, sorry, mom. Also, my mom was upset that I said I got <laughs> college because it's not, it's not true. She wrote me on the side and was like, "I was Rachel. Why did you say <laughs> that? That's not true." Um, and she's right. It's not true. But whatever. I didn't get into. I mean, I didn't apply to Cambridge, but like that's because mom, you didn't even let me apply to chemistry. She was like, "Oh no, fail. you're not good at math," which is true. I'm sure she believes in you deep down in her heart. She does, but yeah. Here, mom, I did get into college. Thank <laughs> you for my education. Um, then okay. So as George is following up um, on these leads in person, um, he's traveling to all these different areas where tips are coming in. Um, a woman from St. Louis, Missouri, claimed that Martha, one of the daughters, was being held in a convent there. Um, a bar uh, patron in Texas claimed to have overheard two other children making incriminating statements about oh. a fire that happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia. Um, but none of these proved to be significant. And when George hears later that a relative of Jenny, the wife in Florida had children that looked similar to his, the relative had to prove the children were his own before oh George my was gosh, satisfied. George was, George was really caught up. <sighs> yeah. Then we're now in 1967 um, George goes down to Houston to investigate another tip uh, where a woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to her one night after having too much to drink. She believed that him and Maurice were living in Texas somewhere. Um, however, George and his son-in-law uh, weren't able to speak with her and police there were able to help them find the two men she'd indicated, but they denied oh. being the missing son sons. Um, years later, um, the doubts about the denial lingered in George's mind for the rest of his oh, life. George. I know. Um, another letter that they received that year brought the Sodders what they believed was the most credible evidence that at least Lewis was still alive. Um, so one day Jenny found in the mail, a letter addressed to her postmarked from Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. And inside was a picture of a young man of around 30 years old with features strongly resembling Lewis's, who would have been in his 30s if he had survived. 
on the back was written Louis Sauter. I love brother Frankie. Lil boys A nine zero one three two or three five. What does that mean? Does it say? So the family hired another private detective to go to Central City and look in into this, but he never reported back to the Sauters, and they were unable to. Well, the private investigator. The private detective goes missing. This this is insane. So then the picture of this maybe adult Lewis gives them so much hope. They add it to the billboard that they already, the billboards that they have up. um, And they leave Central City out of it and any other published information out of fear that Lewis might come to harm. And they put an enlargement of this photo over their fireplace. Um, George admits to the Charleston Gazette mail late the next year that the lack of information had been like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. He nevertheless vowed to continue and said, time is running out for us. And he admitted in another interview around that time, um, well, the time is running out for us is what he admitted in another interview around that time. Um, but we only want to know if if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. And then George Sauter died in 1969, mm. never knowing. And then Jenny and her surviving children, except John, who never talked about the night of the fire, except to say that the family should accept it and get on with their lives, continued to seek answers to their questions about the missing children's fate. And then after George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home, putting up fencing around it and adding additional rooms. And for the rest of her life, the rest of her life, she wore black in mourning and tended to the garden at the site the rest of the of former house. For the rest of her life. And then after her death in 1989, the family finally took the billboard down. And still down. to this day, you want to tell me no one has any idea where these kids are? Well... So the surviving Sauter children, joined by their own children now, continue to publicize the case and investigate leads. They, along with other Fayetteville, West Virginia residents, have theorized that the Sicilian mafia was trying to extort money from George and the children may have been taken by someone who knew about the planned arson and said that they would be safe if they left the Mm. house um, and that they were possibly taken back to Italy. And if the children had survived all those years and were aware that their parents and siblings had survived too, the family believes they may have avoided contact in order to right. keep them from harm. Okay. Um, as of 2015, which is really recent, um, Sylvia Sauter Paxton, who is the yeah. youngest in the family, she was two at the time of the fire, um, she is the only surviving Sauter sibling who was in the house on the night of the fire which she says is her earliest memory. I was the last one of the kids to leave home, she recalled in 2013. She and her father often stayed up late talking about what might have happened. Um, She said, I experienced their grief for a long time. She still believes that her siblings survived that night and quietly assists with efforts to find them and publicize the case. And then her daughter said in 2006, she promised my grandparents she wouldn't let the story die, that she would do everything she could. Um, in the 21st century, these efforts have come to include online forums like websleuths.com, um, in addition to media coverage and the, the increase in the media coverage has led 
some who've examined the case to believe that the children did in fact die in 1945. Mm -hmm. Um, And George Bragg, who is a local author who wrote about the case in 2012 in his book called West Virginia's Unsolved Murders, believes that John was telling the truth in his original account when he said he tried to physically awaken his siblings before fleeing the house. He allows that the conclusion may still not be correct. He says, logic tells you they probably did burn up in the fire, but I, but you can't always go by logic. Um, and then this woman named Stacy Horn, who did a segment on the case for the National Public Radio around its 60th, 60th anniversary in 2005, also believes the children's death in the fire is the most plausible solution. Um, and in a post on her blog with material she had cut from the story for time, she noted that the fire had continued to smolder all night after the fire collapsed and that two hours was not enough time to search the ash thoroughly. And even if it had been, the firefighters may not yeah, have known exactly. what to look for. Um, however, she said there's enough genuine weirdness about this whole thing that if someday it is learned that the children did not die in the fire, yeah, I won't same. be shocked. Um, and that is the story of the Sodder children. Um, but there are some new leads, um, um, which, um, talks about who they think is responsible, um, for setting the fire, that it's not an accident. And of course the first logical suspect is, um, the insurance salesman whose name is Rosser Long, um, who threatened him two months before the fire, saying that his children would die in the house fire as a con- uh, consequence for speaking out about Mussolini. Um, but he, uh, and Long has said that that was a mistake, yeah, what he said. That's a, it's a pretty um, heavy statement. Yeah, yeah, it's a really strange thing to say to someone that, like, you, that your children will die. You know, I wouldn't even say that to the woman no, who was yelling at Gary this morning. <laughs> That's a very, um, very interesting story. Yeah. And then it's the really strange thing is that um, he was never questioned or approached by the police. And the police never wanted the Sodders to know that he was on the jury. Yeah, I don't why understand was he on how he ended up there. That's not making much sense to me. I don't know. Um, the next curious figure is, of course, Mr. Morris, who is the fire chief. Um, so it says, um, this is from Reddit. In 1945, he had been the fire chief for eight years and he couldn't <laughs> drive a fire truck. <laughs> that was our first question. <laughs> yeah so um he is another suspect um and the third suspect is uh fiorenzo gambel janotulo uh who was very well respected in fayetteville he's obviously an italian immigrant um um and he they it's said that he has possible motives and connections to others involved in the crime um could he be the mastermind behind the fire? Was he enraged at George's anti-Mussolini sentiments? Um, was it because George rebuffed uh, Long, the insurance salesman? Um, was it because Jenny's father? Um, was it because of Jenny's father's unsettled estate? All these different reasons. Um, and then another 
not a suspect, but a key figure in the story is C.C. Tinsley, the investigator who is very mysterious. Um, and there's almost no trace of him. Weird. Um, yeah. And then, no, I think that was a different one that disappeared. No, wait, it was another one afterwards. Yeah. That was a different one that they hired later who just yeah. never got back to them. Which is very, very none of it um, really makes any sense. Yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't. So, um so yeah that's that's the mystery of the Sauter family the five missing children thanks for talking um, to us about that rachel it's very sad and the father both parents died without ever knowing what happened to their five kids and the mother just wore black mm, the rest the, of her yeah. life it's really, really sad really cool. is it friday, friday. Uh, I think I so. Don't, do I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Friday. What is it? It's Friday. Okay. I've got work Doesn't tomorrow, matter. So yeah, it's Friday. Yeah. It's Friday. What oh. are you doing for the rest of the day? Okay. Um, I'll yeah. tell you not on here. <laughs> <laughs> Love that for you. Um, so I'll tell you what I'm doing for the rest of the day because it's really entertaining. So okay. after this, I'm going to go and sleep then i'm gonna wake up at <laughs> yeah no you're not gonna sleep you can never I, you can never true. take a nap this you, is true you okay, just thanks, go Rachel. and you lay Thank upstairs you. in bed and then you're like <laughs> thanks. you're like yeah i'm thanks. up thanks. what, thanks what you want <clears throat> so i'm gonna sleep mm-hmm. wake up do a little bit of accident practicing for the next episode be prepared people um uh gonna cook some dinner excited for that oh i I mean like obviously i'm a bit biased because i made it but i think it was better than ask italian were was the house happy with it i was pretty happy with that one i made two actually did jamie eat the one other one (laughs) yeah i don't think so (laughs) but he said it smelled nice so it's okay shout out to jamie that's a good <laughs> that's a good compliment okay um what what else am i doing yeah no that, i think that's it Rachel. that's my that's what i'm doing today i'm sleeping and then i'm gonna cook are you are you watching oh okay i'm watching this thing called the missing on bbc i think i've seen it before can't remember what happens so i'm gonna watch it again oh i think i think i've seen that it's about a little boy. yes <laughs> i thought you were gonna go on yeah yeah <laughs> No, I wasn't gonna go on. I'm not. I'm not gonna ruin it. I I just watched. Um, is it White good? House Farm, which okay. it's really good, and it's a true story. So I won't tell anyone anything. Um, but I basically just binge watched it all day yesterday because I got my period yesterday, and I was just laid up with my hot water bottle. Um, for anyone in America, a hot water bottle is like um a oh, yeah. heating pad. You don't have hot water bottles. Man. I didn't know what it was until you you had said to me when I was like dying of cramps back in December and you were like should I get you a hot water bottle and I was like what the fuck <laughs> is that going to do for me little did you know I was Rachel, like what is she talking about, about your life you really did I I use it all the time now it's the um, best thing ever it's it is great. the best thing ever it's great it is because like, the heating pad like you have to plug it in you have to wait um you have to you know you can't take it with you you have to keep plugging it in you know yeah exactly (laughs) it's been a week by that time waiting for this thing to heat up 
no, no, they're, know, they're a good time. But yeah, so I binge watched that. Um, the acting is okay. really, really good. It is super dark. Um, the main girl in it, she was uh, Theon's sister in Game it. of Thrones. But you know what? Let's just not get into that one because I really okay. feel <laughs> I'm gonna offend. I'm gonna offend some people. I just it's not my vibe. It's, it's not about crime, okay. and so well, I can't watch it. It's about murder, betrayal, sex. It's power. Not... Yeah, no. Do you know what? I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> I convinced you. I'm gonna just watch that. it. I feel like I should watch it. I, too many people talk about it. And I think I just need to put my bums down and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's time. I mean, I envy you because you get to yeah. start it from yeah, the I'm beginning. Yeah, I'm jealous of myself at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll just Thanks, go Rachel. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You're welcome. Um, and when I get off, I'll tell you what I'm doing later. I'm, I, do I feel like you already know. Um, but but yeah. also, I really hope that okay. the, the, the recording sounded a bit better this time, guys. I really For sure, really it hope. has to. But yeah, again, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks for listening and taking your time to listen to Lolly and I. And if you have any other questions about who we are or what we are doing, let us know. We're, I'm not really doing anything. Gary, <laughs> oh my Gary. No, no. No, no. He's he's uh, burrowing. You know, when dogs like start clawing at the ground, like to but make a he's hole. Inside. He's trying to dig a hole in, <laughs> in my bed. But he's inside. He's just staring at me. He's trying. It's what I Googled it. It's what they do when they're trying to get warm. See, yeah, they burrow. burrow. Yep. I, so do I, I get it, Gary. I get what you're going yeah. through, baby. Yeah. Right, Rachel. Um, I'm going to go All give right, some attention. Bye. Bye.